Hello, this is FTW with Imad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. I'm Imad Khan of Tom's Guide. On November 16th, Kirsten Grind, Ben Fritz, and Sarah Niederman of the Wall Street Journal put out a bombshell report regarding Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision Blizzard. Earlier this year, California's Department of Fair Housing and Employment sued Activision Blizzard over multiple allegations of employee harassment and abuse. In one case, an employee committed suicide after vulgar images of her were shared amongst Blizzard employees. Since that report, the company has been combative, fighting back at the allegations and appealing to the public that it's a safe place to work. Kodak himself made a similar statement and attributed its work culture to the high caliber of talent the company is able to attract. With the board of directors, Kodak reportedly downplayed the severity of the multiple situations and wasn't aware of others. The report said that Kodak was aware of a rape that occurred between a female employee and her male supervisor in 2016 and 2017 at Sledgehammer Games. Kodak reportedly did not inform the board regarding this assault. Returning to the show is the Washington Post's Shannon Lau. Shannon, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks, Ahmad. Thanks for having me. So, Shannon, when you were last on, we discussed Jennifer O'Neill, I guess former co-head of Blizzard, leaving the company. Uh, then it was a little w- vague as to why she was leaving. Now we've learned that she sent a letter to Activision's legal team citing a lack of confidence in Activision's leadership and that she had been sexually harassed. Uh, and in a report by IGN, we now know she faced pay disparity and that she was only offered equal pay once she threatened to leave. Uh, in the email to legal, she said, quote, I have been tokenized, marginalized, and discriminated against. Uh, O'Neill herself is Asian American and gay. Do you think O'Neill timed her departure knowing this report by the Wall Street Journal would come out? Uh, that's an interesting question, Imad. I don't think we know exactly why or you know, the timing behind why she resigned now. It's more that uh, what we do know is, you know, there was an article also from IGN that had screenshots of um, what was going on in Slack as they were discussing this uh, at the company after the Wall Street Journal article had already appeared. I also uh, was able to corroborate this in my reporting. I also received um, these screenshots and was able to see what uh, people were saying. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. Mike Yabara told employees that he and Jen were asking uh, to be paid equally. Um, and then Jen later clarified on Slack that she, uh, even though she had asked to be paid equally, they still didn't give her that offer. Mm-hmm. Only when she was um, asking to resign is when uh, Activision Blizzard finally said, yeah, you can have the same salary as Mike Ibarra. And at that point, she had already had one foot out the door. Um, I don't believe she's, uh, I, th- I think she's still finishing up her, her final uh, week or so at the company and then she'll be gone. And I mean, how how valuable of a company is Activision Blizzard again? Uh, it's the world's second biggest video game company. It's a multi-billion dollar company, I believe. Um, and its stock price has just tanked, you know, over the past year as more and more of these reports come out. Yeah, I wonder why the company was being so miserly and just offering her equal pay given everything that was happening. It's not that the company, I assume that the company could afford it. Yeah, some employees um, have you know theorized that Jen O'Neill is just being paid at the same level that she had been at her previous position um, mm-hmm. as the head of Vicarious Visions, and so that uh, pay you know structure was a little bit lower than Mike Ibarra, uh, who had previously worked on Battle.net, and then before that he was at Xbox. So, assuming that he was hired at a competitive salary to what he was being paid at Xbox. Um, that that would explain why his salary was higher to begin with, but it is an oversight from Activision Blizzard leadership to not then try to give them the same amount for the same job position. 
Uh, interestingly, O'Neill said that she was at a party in 2007 with Kotick where scantily clad women were dancing on stripper poles and a DJ was encouraging women to drink more so that men could have more fun. Um, now, you and I have been covering the gaming space for a while. And I remember like there was a time where, you know, many industry events did take place at like strip clubs or, you know, less professional environments uh, that were really inappropriate between work colleagues. I mean, it, it's kind of a, I guess, a weird or a multifaceted question here, but by Jen kind of bringing up this party from over a decade ago, do you think that's maybe a fair criticism to lob? Uh, that That is an interesting question. I mean, I think that, um, you know, gender norms and, and social standards and, and politics have changed over a decade. Um, I've been watching, you know, for instance, Arcane, uh, which is the League of Legends Netflix show. Mm-hmm. And I can see that, you know, the way that um, trans people or, you know, even women are depicted in this show that was made just six years ago uh, is a little bit, um, you know, outdated compared to what you'd see these days, it's already changed um, just for, in a few years. Um, and I know that talking to some sources who have attended these kinds of parties maybe a decade ago um, are that those kinds of environments were very common. It was common to entertain clients at a strip club. I have actually haven't been to any of these events. I've just heard secondhand. Um, but just because they were common doesn't really mean that, you know, they get a free pass now. I think at this point, people are coming to examine the kinds of things that people were doing 10 years ago and, and trying to see if if they're still okay or trying to see if the culture should change. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you, by chance, attend the Game Developers Conference in 2016? Uh, I did not. Well, I remember <laughs> I, I was there and there was a party that Microsoft threw for indie game developers and on the 16th annual Women in Gaming Luncheon, no less, that had women in crop tops and short skirts dancing and flirting with attendees on uh, essentially these like mini stages throughout the the dance floor. Uh, Microsoft ended up apologizing for the party, compla- you know, com- claiming that it was the venue that had put out the dancers. But I mean, weirdly, it wasn't even that long ago that the, these types of controversies still erupted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I covered a lot of tech um, in, in the years uh prior to this. Um, and I know that CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, had previously put out a statement maybe last year or the year before that saying that they were going to change their policy around, you know, having uh, very revealing outfits, um, uh, people, uh, you know, models uh, wearing these bikinis and, and standing uh, on the show floor because it just didn't send the right message anymore. And yeah. so I think even just in 2019, people are already reconsidering uh, what is appropriate in a, in a workspace in the tech industry or the gaming industry where before, um, you know, these kinds of outfits might have been permissible or, you know, entertaining to people. It's it's now considered inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was at that party and uh, there was there were definitely a lot of people who were just like kind of really surprised at what was going on. Well, uh, well, there were clearly a bunch of people who uh, were maybe having a little too much fun. Um, but, you know, another incident that involved, I guess, switching back to, uh, away from Jen O'Neill, but um, and there was another incident at Activision Blizzard involving Dan uh, Bunting, co-head of Treyarch Studios, the team behind this year's Call of Duty Vanguard, uh, where he w- was accused of harassing a female employee in 2017. Uh, human resources actually recommended that he be fired. Kodak intervened, imposed counseling and other dis- uh, disciplinary measures. Bunting left Activision after the Wall Street Journal began asking questions. Uh, Shannon, it seems that Kotick has a penchant for not firing high-level staff, um, but instead shielding them until public pressure forces a resignation. Why do you think that is? 
Right. So I was just reading uh, Jeffrey's, this analyst company's um, report on Activision Blizzard. And it said that, you know, one of the reasons why uh, you can see this kind of crisis unfolding over Activision Blizzard is because Bobby Kotick really enjoys or really wanted to give his studios more independence and let each part of Activision Blizzard run run itself. Mm -hmm. And so in giving them all this independence, he kind of let the leads do what they wanted. um, And in a lot of cases, these studios developed fat boy cultures, a lot of heavy drinking and and partying. And uh, the staff felt like they needed to schmooze with leads and go to parties and drink more in order to then get promotions and make their way up. Um, And so in an environment like that, um, Dan Budding uh, had, you know, helped that studio produce a lot of successful games. And um, I don't know about the specific situation where Kodak intervened and allowed him to stay on, but it seems in the same spirit of, you know, wanting a successful studio to continue uh, making hits, even if it was the cost of uh, keeping someone on who people had already made claims against. And, you know, the, the, I, I think the the bombshell thing about this report was that uh, Kodak knew of some of these claims uh, one you know being a rape and then didn't inform the board which just screams of terrible you know corporate governance right um i mean the fact that he would keep something just so materially damaging from the board something that could you know easily amount to you know a lawsuit and there was a pending lawsuit but not only did uh activision blizzard go through that lawsuit and then pay out for that or settle for that lawsuit did so without informing the board at all i mean these are all (laughs) These are all very alarming claims that I think any board should be uh, furious about. Right. Well, you know, the board of directors from Activision Blizzard has already come out with a statement. And whenever I reach the company for comment, they point me back to the statement saying that the board is confident in Bobby Kotick's uh, leadership skills and his capacity at his job. And they remain confident even after this article has come out from the Wall Street Journal. Um, It is notable in that story that... um, you know, Kodak knew about um, this alleged rape uh, in 2018 um, and in the lawsuit from 2018, uh, years before the board knew from this new lawsuit uh, of July 29, uh, July 2021 uh, from the California State Agency. Mm-hmm. And so the board uh, in, in this article is described as being surprised and, and having not known. And Kodak had replied to them saying, well, most of the things happening in this 2021 lawsuit um, are about Blizzard and have been settled years ago. Uh, But of course, that story is about things happening at Activision. So it seems like, you know, if you're going by what the Wall Street Journal has said, Kodak was really trying to sweep this under the rug and make uh, the board feel reassured that he is taking care of all problems and that he wouldn't, you know, bring up additional problems to them without having already taken care of them and waited for years for the dust to settle. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Jason Shire over at um, Bloomberg put out a a newsletter talking about Activision's board and essentially how, you know, many of the top members have been there for upwards of two decades and have made stupid amounts of money with Kotick at the helm. And, you know, I, I, I think it would be premature to say that Kotick was a, you know, a bad CEO. He's clearly like turned a company that was bought for $400,000 into a multi-billion dollar company, right? Um, and... It it for to me it seems that the the this board not only are they very chummy with one another but why get rid of the person that <laughs> has made them a lot of money? 
Right, right. And I've seen this a lot, you know, even on Monday, um, you know, November 22nd, um, the Wall Street Journal was airing a live question and answer with the reporters who had done that story. Mm. And they said that, um, you know, Bobby Kotick was this legendary figure on Wall Street um, and other investors have always, you know, had their faith in him. There there are a few uh, such legendary figures um, at these like Fortune 500 companies. Another one would be like Bob Iger from Disney, for instance, who, um, so like Bob, Bobby Kotick, uh, you know, dropped out of college. Um, he invested in this company that was near bankruptcy and just, you know, raised it from, from nothing and owned Activision for over uh, what is probably three decades at this mm-hmm. point and made it so profitable and acquired companies like King, which makes Candy Crush and, um, also Blizzard, which makes World of Warcraft, and and just generates so much value for these shareholders and investors that it's hard for this board, which also has these people who are loyal friends of Codex for, for decades as well. Like you mentioned, um, it's hard for this board to disavow him because uh, who would they even replace him with? And if they did replace him, would that person also be you know, somebody who's been around for, for decades and maybe has uh, a mired past of their own? We, we don't even know. And would they be able to generate that much value for this company? And I think uh, when it comes to a public company like Activision Blizzard, they have to think about the bottom line. They have to think about pleasing investors and making sure that their stock price keeps going up. Um, I will say that with the like report that came out from Jeffries today that I was reading, um, the analysts did recommend that Bobby Kotick step down or at least be replaced uh, by the board because because uh, with the doubt in leadership right now, um, employees are you know leaving the company at high frequencies compared to their competitors, and mm-hmm. it is going to hurt the game development and also the, the company as a whole. You know, it, and, it, and speaking of employees like walking out, I mean, th- th- this past Friday, there was a 1500 Activision employee walkout that uh, I believe, you know, you and both Hawk and Miller reported on for, for the post. And, you know, it's 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 kind of like one of those things is 1500 enough to really uh, coerce the board and Kotick to, to step down. I mean, does there need to be even larger outcry? We do know that uh, Phil Spencer over at Microsoft did put out a memo saying that, you know, a, a, there would have to be some kind of reevaluation of the relationship between the two companies. Yeah, just to clarify, it was 150 employees who walked out at, at the Blizzard campus oh, yes, in yes. Irvine, California. Um, it was over 1,700 that signed a petition, often with their real name um, and their job title, uh, calling for Bobby Kotick to step down. And that was, uh, I believe, uh, on Thursday uh, mm-hmm. morning, that petition went out. Um, and, and your question is, is this enough? I, I think, let's see. So, you know, employees have been dissatisfied for, for months and months now, um, even starting from when that lawsuit came out um, in July that, you know, Activision Blizzard has this uh, frat boy culture, this drinking culture, lots of uh, alleged sexual harassment and misconduct. At that point, when the company responded with a letter, uh, with a letter to employees saying that, this is a misleading and false, and uh, a bunch of false accusations. Employees were furious, and they had a walkout back then as well. Um, so that dissatisfaction, you can say, started in the summer, um, all the way to now. Uh, but management has responded by, you know, removing a few people, um, switching around leadership, but never Bobby Kotick, uh, because he's always been at the head of everything for for decades, like since the 1990s. Um, mm-hmm. And this is his baby. This company is his baby. So. 
even though you know people have said we should clean up this company, that they have to really make some changes, it's always been with Bobby Kotick signing off on everything um, and saying that he has a zero tolerance policy for misconduct. Um, so it's really hard to say because like he, if he's the one in charge, right, then who would hold him accountable if not the board of directors, but they're also you know his allies. Um, and who holds the board of directors accountable is the shareholders. And so I wrote a story last week um, about a couple of activist shareholders who are holding uh, the board of directors accountable. They signed a letter calling for Kodak to step down and two of the oldest, longest serving board of directors, directors to step down as well. And um, that letter has been signed by a couple of shareholders, but not by Fidelity or Vanguard or BlackRock which are these companies that manage people's 401ks and have the majority of Activision Blizzard shares, those companies decline to comment. um, And they, as a company policy, don't comment on individual stocks that they hold anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we could really get them to admit if they were in support or not in support of of such a policy of Kodak stepping down. So what we're really uh, looking for here, if, if change were to happen, is if there's enough pressure on shareholders and I mean, on the board of directors and on Kodak to step down. And, you know, Kodak has said in a meeting uh, reported by the Wall Street Journal over the weekend that he is thinking about uh, potentially if he can't fix the company culture in time, then he would resign. So he's looking for, um, you know, affecting change quickly. Um, and and we can see if that will happen, but it's already been a couple of months since this story started happening over the summer, um, and the amount of change that's happened ha- never seems to be enough for employees to feel satisfied, and and for the general public, I mean, there always seems to be more stories of uh, misconduct that just haven't been addressed yet. Yeah, I mean, some of these stories of misconduct actually relate to Kodak himself, where you know, in this report by the Wall Street Journal, he was accused of harassing a hostess on a a private airline that he co-owned, I believe. And that also led to a settlement. Um, I I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but also that he had threatened his assistant in a response by Activision Blizzard, where he hyperbolically said that he would kill her. Um, This was back, this was quite a few years ago, but even then, like, it's kind of an alarming thing for a boss to tell somebody, uh, especially a subordinate. Uh, I mean, based on the people that you've been interviewing, have you asked them about, you know, that specific incident? And I mean, I assume it does not instill a ton of confidence. Right. Um, I actually have talked to a couple of sources. Uh, Nobody who was there at at that scene um, or like knew the person who was being threatened. But basically, you know, current employees that have spoken to me have said that they feel very alarmed um, that Kodak actually was yelling um, at an employee and threatening their life. and the and also even on social media have have said that you know if if somebody in a in a smaller position and a more entry level position threatened another coworker's life then they would lose their job like that is probably against um, human resources um, you know uh, code of conduct guidelines and mm-hmm. it, it's going too far but um, uh, even though I, I think Activision Blizzard responded in the Wall Street Journal report that uh, Kodak was sorry for having said those things, that that it was um, a voicemail that he had left that went too far, uh, which basically admits that he did say those things. Um, but again, you know, he's still in his position and the board is confident in his leadership and he remains 
the head of uh, Activision Blizzard. So it does seem that you know his conduct there goes beyond what a normal employee would be allowed to do, but he stays in power nevertheless. Yeah, definitely somebody with maybe a lot of power that can act with impunity or maybe <laughs> with some slight megalomaniacal tendencies. You know, I think what's, I mean, we are an esports podcast and it seems that even Activision Blizzard's, you know, esports divisions were not <laughs> exempt from employee harassment, where 30 female employees at Activision's esports division complained of unwanted touching, demeaning comments and exclusion from meetings. Uh, apparently, Kodak was aware of this email that was sent out, but didn't tell the board of directors. Um, and again, this just p- points of other kind of gross negligence. And I wonder, have you had a chance to speak with any lawyers who kind of deal with this corporate governance space and if this violates any kind of fiduciary laws or where, you know, a CEO really must keep its board informed of you know, these kind of like major incidents happening within its companies, which could obviously affect, you know, share prices or how people invest in this company? Right. Um, that's actually a great point. That might be something I, w- I would look into next. Um, I will say that there are just so many different aspects of the story to look into. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, you know, um, that one uh, 1,700 uh, employee petition, uh, uh, the petition with 1,700 employee signatures uh, with their real names means, you know, that pretty much anybody uh, who's an investigative journalist can go ahead and reach out to these people right. and ask them and how they're how they're feeling. So that's one of the things I am working my way through um, in terms of speaking with lawyers of, about corporate governance. Um, I, that could be something for for next time. Um, but when you talk about esports uh, at this company, I, I do think about how when I was reporting out the August feature that I did, I did talk to people who had you know traveled in these esports events that Activision Blizzard was hosting and. Uh, had to room together with maybe 10 people or more and that put them in situations where they then face sexual harassment and and misconduct. And and that is um, something that could have been avoided had they had their own separate room. But I don't know, for budgeting purposes or whatever else it could have been, uh, they did not and they had to share it with so many other people. Um, So that is something that I, I did see early on and hear from sources uh, which was then confirmed by uh, the person who was accused of misconduct. He later apologized for it, um, and also confirmed by the company too. So that those are those are incidents that we were able to corroborate and put in our story. I mean, it definitely explains why there was that kind of exodus of staff after the first season of the Overwatch League, and it just really puts into question kind of like how uh, Activision Blizzard really is prioritizing esports. I mean, sure they had this like you know very robust and expensive uh, franchising drive where, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars are raised. But at the same end, on the production side, it's uh, very tight. And maybe it's due to wanting to make the esport profitable, which again, like not even League of Legends esports is profitable, uh, but trying to make it profitable or just being really miserly. I, I, I think that, you know, we as esports supporters have to also kind of look into into some of this. And, you know, I, I remember speaking to, I, I won't name the names because uh, they didn't tell me on the record, but just some of the issues that were happening on the production end for the first season of the Overwatch League and just how much more crunched it was for the second season. Honestly, like the fact that the the latest season had to be remote was kind of a blessing in disguise because it it, it alleviated a lot of the pressure of having to travel around and have this like uh, live production. But Shannon, again, thank you so much for coming on and giving us just so much more insight. Yeah, thanks again, Ahmad. It's always a pleasure. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the .esports podcast network. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and share. For full transcripts of the show, head on over to ftwamad.com. 
To follow Shannon and her reporting at the Washington Post, you can find her at Shannon underscore Lau on Twitter. That's L-I-A-O. To follow me and my work over at Tom's Guide, you can find me at Imad on Twitter. This episode was produced by Enrique Demore and Jacob Wolf. The show's executive producer is Kevin Morris. Our research assistant is Sam Higgins. And with that, we'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>